here's a story from the world. Protesters took to the streets in Afghanistan for the second straight day to rally against Taliban rule. Today, protests reached the capital, Kabul. As many as 200 people gathered before armed Taliban fighters violently dispersed the crowd. In the eastern city of Asadabad, several people were killed in protests today, either by stampedes or gunfire. The Taliban fired on people waving the Afghan flag to mark the nation's annual Independence Day. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan is now the official name of the country. Meanwhile, the evacuation of Afghans continued at an accelerated pace today. Nations like Spain, Germany, and Australia flew out their citizens along with scores of Afghans. U.S. officials say they are processing about 500 people each hour at the airport. Outside the airport, more violence and chaos. The Taliban continued to patrol the roads leading to the terminal, blocking entrances and beating back crowds. In this video obtained by the New York Times, soldiers fire guns in the air. Then one soldier appears to shoot into the crowd. Inside the airport, the U.S. military remains in control. Ayusha Tanzim, the Afghanistan-Pakistan bureau chief for Voice of America, the U.S. government-owned broadcaster, is there today. I caught up with her at the airport where she was waiting for a flight out. The evacuation flights are going very, very quickly. Hundreds, if not more, are being processed and put onto those flights. But the stories I got today, some of them were heart-wrenching because these people who are about to get on these flights, some of them were separated from their family members. So I met this young teenager. Uh, He had no idea where the rest of his family was, and he didn't have a phone. And he said that they didn't have a phone. I met some other people who said that half of their family was left outside and the other half was inside. The scene outside the airport is a lot more chaotic. And I have gone through that while I was trying to get inside the airport. There are thousands of people, many of whom are literally camping outside the airport. They're not going home. They're spending their nights there without their luggage, without anything, because there is no hope of getting anything in the rush and the pushing and the shoving that you have to go through to get inside the airport. All gates of the airport are surrounded by people who want to get in. You hear constant gunfire, and I saw it with my own eyes, mostly Taliban firing into the air as a method of crowd control. And I also met people who managed to get inside without complete documents, and once inside, they were told, you cannot go anywhere from here because you don't have a passport. Can you tell us about one family you met there? One family that I met, they thought they were going to be sent back outside and they were afraid that the Taliban were going to come for them. It was the family of a man who had served with the U.S. military as security. And he came in with his badge, him and his family. He was allowed onto the airport. But once there, since none of them had any passports, they could not go any further. And his family was sitting inside the airport on the on the floor uh, saying, we're afraid we're going to be sent outside and the Taliban will find us. And if they find out about us, they will kill us. I mean, the stories of Afghans trying to leave are so heartbreaking. That's just one of many. So what were you seeing around the city? Like, what's the state of the city, the physical nature of the city before you headed to the airport? We saw hardly any women, maybe three or four women, fully covered in abayas with hijab. 
that is not usually how women in Kabul walk around. Uh, they do have a headscarf and long tunics and jeans. But, you know, that day, the three or four women on the street were fully covered. Even the men had changed their clothing. Gone were any T-shirts and jeans, which is very normal in Kabul. Everybody was in local dress, the shalwar kameez. So everybody had taken uh, it upon themselves to be extra cautious. It was very obvious. And then when I left for the airport, and I had to make three runs for the airport on multiple days, mm. unsuccessful ones, of course. Were you stopped each time? Is that what happened? I wasn't stopped by the Taliban. The first two times when I got close to the airport, there were thousands of people there, all trying to get inside. And by the time we got close, uh, we saw Taliban with long, long batons trying to do crowd control, pushing people back from the airport, uh, sometimes firing into the air to keep the crowds away from the airport. Otherwise, the thousands were just about to like literally become a mob and try to get inside. Uh, there was no way. All the doors were locked. The security inside, they had locked all the gates. They were not willing to open any doors. So there was no way to get inside. And because there were bullets being fired in the air, uh, I turned around on my first attempt and my second attempt. The third time around, I found out that a new gate behind the airport was going to be open for you know, the uh, U.S. nationals, Canadians, Europeans, and SIV, the special immigrant visa applicants. We, When we got in, there was no line. We were just pushed and shoved around for two hours in the crowd. I saw women wailing. I saw people getting panic attacks. I was afraid that some of those children who were perched on top of their father's shoulders or their uncle's shoulders were going to fall down. Uh, I saw, you know, women almost about to fall down because it was sunny, it was hot, and they were sweating, their hair was wet. It was not a good scene. And uh, like I said, it took two hours of pushing and shoving till I got close to the turnstile and showed my U.S. passport and finally got in. But people outside were desperate. Just flabbergasting. I'm speaking with Aisha Tanzim, the Afghanistan-Pakistan bureau chief for Voice of America. The Taliban spokesmen, and they are all men, they say they'll be more accommodating toward journalists than they were in their previous era in power in the 90s. What do you think? We have to wait and see. In the first few days, they have been more accommodating to journalists. So on uh, day one and day two, they did not stop journalists. But day three, they stopped some journalists and interrogated them, asked who they were and uh, whose permission they had and all of that. They told local journalists to register with their media commission. At the same time, I talked to the head of head of news of one of Afghanistan's biggest TV channels, and they said that their teams, including women, were going out to report. And sometimes they were stopped by Taliban, sometimes they were not stopped by Taliban, but so far they were not stopped from reporting. Their channel was on air. However, a lot of people, including local journalists, said that they thought that this was temporary, that the Taliban were now busy with other things. They were busy because they were negotiating with local Afghan leaders. They were going around the city, disarming security guards and whatever police and security forces they could find. So they were busy 
in other things, that's why they were allowing the media to work and the women to go out. But a lot of local journalists thought that once Taliban solidified their hold on power, things would change. These are still early days. And we have to wait and watch and see once the Taliban settle in and they actually are in the government. They have not announced their government yet. They continue to repeat that they want to form an inclusive government. They have not yet announced what form that government would take, whether the leader of the inclusive government would be a president or a khalifa or a prime minister, nobody knows. But because they have a history, uh, 40 years of war, the 90s era that people still remember, they've heard stories from their parents. I talked to people who remembered one person said he re- his mother told him how she was beaten by the Taliban for not wearing the abaya the right way. So people have those stories in their minds. Ayusha, on top of what journalists generally are facing, we have to talk about what it's like being a woman and a journalist. What has that been like these past few days for you? Well, I did what all the other Afghan female journalists did and all the international female journalists did, which is I changed my dress. So I used to go out in Kabul with jeans, a long tunic and a headscarf. But as soon as the Taliban entered the city, I started wearing a long abaya, started covering my entire head, you know, and the people that I tried to talk to over the phone, the political analysts, the activists that we used to routinely talk to said, we are not doing media these days. We are not talking to anyone these days. So I also became cautious, not because the Taliban told me, but because I don't know what the Taliban red line is. And because every one of them is carrying an AK-47 I don't want to annoy a Talib on the streets who could get offended by my dress code. So the Taliban have told people that they want to implement Sharia law. They haven't really told people what does that mean. A lot of women are asking them on Twitter, what do you mean by Sharia law? Does that mean I can go to work? Does that mean I can walk around the streets without a male accompanying me? Does that mean that, you know, I can choose whatever profession I want to choose? Because Afghan women over the last 20 years have become, you know, artists and filmmakers and actors and singers, along with doctors and teachers and journalists and anchors and field reporters. They're working in offices. They're in government. You know, at one time, the mayor of Kabul was a woman. So there is no clear answer yet. Taliban have been very vague with it. Even though you're at the airport now, are you still dressing more conservatively? No, no, no. At the airport, it's very safe. The perimeter is now secured by international forces. The U.S. is in negotiation with the Taliban to make sure the evacuation is safe. So far, the Taliban seem to be sticking to whatever negotiation they had with the U.S., Yeah, for you, three days in the waiting area at Kabul International Airport in the eyes of many Afghans, you'll be seen as a lucky one. When do you think you'll be able to fly out, though? I'm hoping to catch a flight out tomorrow. That would be Friday. Um, Let's see. Mm. Can you imagine returning to Kabul in the near future? I hope so. I hope so. I I mean, if the situation stabilizes and I feel like as a journalist, I can continue to work here without being harmed. I would like to return and report on the story. This is this is history in the making. This is a big story. But more importantly, I feel like 
if journalists leave a scene, it becomes a black hole. Then the world doesn't find out what's happening. And when the world doesn't know what's happening, human sympathy also evaporates. That's why conflict reporting is so important, because it is only when the world can see the misery of people that, that there's pressure on governments and the international community to do something about it. That is a great point. Ayusha Tanzim, the Afghanistan-Pakistan Bureau Chief for Voice of America, the U.S. government-owned broadcaster. She's been speaking with us from Kabul. Ayesha, thank you very much. Stay safe. Thank you for having me.